Oh my god. Is Shakespeare an edgelord? Yes. Yes. Well, with what you're working on right now, this is something that has been in the making for over 10 years. So I feel like what you're doing right now is exactly the topic of today's conversation. It's how do I realize my dream project? Well, uh, for starters, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that this is not going to be the best thing I ever make. And that is important to acknowledge because sometimes when we're working on something we're very passionate about and we think it's our magnum opus, um, it can put a lot of pressure on the thing. But I'll tell you right now that this project, this project started uh, when I was in my senior year of high school. I knew I wanted to write a story about a person told from the perspective of other people. So this sort of like uh, experience, uh, interpretation, observational sort of thing. And the person who was being observed has stayed the same almost throughout because the the whole idea of her life is really what I wanted to go into. That's why the project is called June for short, because it's the story about June, just told from other people's perspective. And when I, when I leave that sort of leeway and like, who are the people that are observing her, that uh, sort of like space of interpretation is what has allowed it to grow so and change so much over 10 years. But it's also what's taken me the longest because that's been the real challenge. That's in trying to figure out how to make it work in a way that I uh, like, am proud of, am comfortable with. Um, that's been what took the longest. So how did I start the story, you might ask? Well, I started it with this idea that, you know, one person being absorbed through many others. And... Um, you know, that, that being a series of short stories. So what I did, and there's many ways to begin a project, but the way I started this project specifically was I took 15 sheets of paper, I taped them onto my wall, and I started writing on them. And every sheet was a different story, a different perspective. And how has that evolved? Well, uh, for starters, I still have those 15 sheets of paper somewhere not here not in my studio i think it's at home otherwise i would show you but um it started out as a, a written prose project of 15 short stories it is no longer that it is uh a continuous co uh comic uh series and it's actually all told from the perspective of one different person, this being the writer Tall Nichols, who is the main character. Um, and that complicates and changes the story a lot. But I started in this sort of mode that was basically literally throwing, almost literally throwing spaghetti against the wall. I, I taped pieces of paper onto the wall and those were my 15 stories. And then I just threw something on them and I, I, I figured out what stuck and what had to go away. Because now I don't have 15 short stories. I have three or four. And um, those are three or four very good stories. Um, but it's not 15 anymore. And it, it, that changes over time. But yeah, that's how I started. 15 pieces of paper on the wall. And that's just for the written element of it, because it started off as a novel project, and it has since evolved into a graphic novel project, but you've been sitting with this story for a long time. How did you make the decision to bring it into the visual world? Uh, it's a little embarrassing, because um, <laughs> I used to drink a lot, but um, I finished art school. I finished this, uh, my, my comic that was my like senior thesis, and then I was, I decided I, I needed to take a break and to figure out what my next project was. By the way, I wrote June for short as a, as a novel uh, over the span of some like five years. And then I pitched it to a bunch of people. 
uh, and I looked for an agent and it didn't work out. Um, and we'll do an episode about like agents and contracts and stuff like that. But essentially I just didn't find the right person to work with. And so I, I let it, uh, sit in a dark corner and I said, I'm never going to look at that again. You know, that's done. <laughs> I'm, I'm over it. Um, clearly I wasn't, but it was always on the back of my mind. And when I did a short story for what's it called? The uh, Comics Comics Anthology at MCAD. We uh, did a very short anthology of uh, MCAD students and I was one of the editors. I did one of the stories and I just had in the back of my mind, you know, a short story from June's life. And June was always a very visual character for me. I always pictured exactly what she looked like. And um, so I made the comic. The funny thing is, it's an eight-page comic, but I was so scared to draw her because she was so perfect in my mind. Like, I knew exactly how I saw her in my mind, but I was scared to draw her because I was afraid I was going to draw it wrong or I just couldn't figure it out. I don't know. It was like breaking that barrier between a written character and a drawn character. It was it was very intimidating. Um and so I, I did that short story and again, this is like part of the ideation. It was just like an eight page story. Um, and I was like, oh, that was cool. That was fun. I like that. Putting it away now, not thinking about it again. And so when I was figuring out what I wanted to do for my next project, um, after I finished art school, I went camping by myself, uh, like you do. And I got really drunk, like you do. <laughs> Cause I was trying to figure out, um, what, you know, what was going to be my next project. And I was writing all these ideas and stuff. And, um, in my drunken mind, I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time I finally give that another shot. Maybe it's time I give June another shot. Cause I think it would be a good comic. And so I went to bed drunk and like convinced like, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. Good, good, good. And in the course of the night, I sobered up, I guess. I woke up in the middle of the night, sweat on my brow. Like I shot up in panic and I was like, that was such a bad idea. Why would you do that? Why would you go back to that? Like there was such a visceral like anxiety about it. I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. You're just going to fail at it again. You tried and you failed and you tried and you failed. Don't try it again. Just let it go. No one's going to want to read it. It's a bad idea. Stop. Like all these like horrible thoughts running through my mind at like three in the morning. And then I was like, oh, okay. Got that out of my system. I lay back down to go to sleep. And then when I woke up the next morning, I was like, you're being crazy. You're being, you, you were being like a panicky, sleepy, whatever. Um, because by, by the morning I was like, no, this is a good idea. And, and I clearly have some unsolved stuff in this story that I still really want to express. So I sat down with the, uh, what was it? 200 page, um, draft. I, I wouldn't even call it finished. It was always a draft, but the 200 page draft and I read it front to back. And then I said, okay, I'm going to keep this. So I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to keep this. I got going to get rid of that. And then I started, uh, changing it into a comics script. And then I started character design. And then I drew the first issue. That's awesome. You have <laughs> such a cinematic life. Like you tell me about these turning points that you go through and it feels like it's straight out of a movie. I'm very I'm a very romantic person, like romantic yeah. in, in the literary sense. Like I live by myself. I live in my own little world. My my experience is just such a like a romantic fantasy life. <laughs> And I guarantee you from the outside, it doesn't look like that, but it feels that way to me. <laughs> it feels conveyed in your work. I would say that it feels conveyed in your work. So would you say that you feel better knowing that this is something that you are taking on for once and in, in, for once and for all? It was a relief. It was almost like an exorcism. It was it, like my brain had been possessed by this idea of June for so long, for 10 years, it was like, I couldn't shake it off. I couldn't get rid of it. No matter how many different things I tried to draw. Um, 
And one of the things that uh, someone pointed out to me, because uh, in in the June for short story, there's a, a set of twins. They have been twins for almost as long as both characters have existed. Not the entire time, but almost as long. And um, then it, it plays into this this concept of duality of self, of like the two sides of the one person. And I inadvertently had a similar theme in my senior thesis, I don't want to be famous. And someone pointed out to me, like, is that a, like a recurring theme for you? And honestly, I don't think it is. I think it's just that it was a theme in June that was uh, very interesting to me that it wasn't fully resolved. So I, I tackled it in another project, but then I came back to June and I was like, no, nah, no, there's still more to be said here. So it's, I, I'm glad that we started with your project, your current project, because I feel like that's a good through line to get into this idea that this is something conquerable. I feel like people wouldn't click on this episode if they didn't already have reservations about their own project. Right. So outside of getting drunk in a tent site, how would you say people should overcome these insecurities to finally pull the trigger and begin working on something that's so monumental and so sentimental and full of meaning for the person who wants to make it happen. Well, um, I mean, world building is something we've talked about a lot and I think it, it makes a, a, a huge difference. I mean, it really helps um, because uh, I'm also working on another project that I wouldn't say is like my magnum opus, but I do know it's a really big project. Um, I have a couple of big projects on the back burners and in the back of my mind that I'm like, I'm not sure I'm ready to tackle it yet. Or I know there's a lot of work that needs to be done beforehand. Um, but world building and research is super, super important um, and is super helpful. And research means so many things. Um, like uh, I mentioned in a previous episode, like I'm working on this idea and I just bought six books um, all about like the, the time period, the historical time period. Um, because that research is going to help me visualize what it is I actually am trying to convey. Like, literally visualize it. Because um, I can I can try to convey an idea or a feeling that I have. But, <laughs> like, how am I going to physically put it on paper? And, and uh, I have... I'm going to show you my favorite book, okay? It is uh, American Antique Furniture. Volumes one and two. Volume one is over here. <laughs> this is one of my favorite books because I feel like furniture is so important when talking about time periods and time settings. Like furniture is one of the things that change, like evolves the most in a short amount of time. And this book like really helps me feel like I'm in a different time period. Um, just look at these chairs, man. Just look at these Bancos. What do you call them? Uh, benches. Benches. Thank you. Look at these benches. Um, they yeah, are beautiful. They are. And this is my, this is my favorite book because it really like helps me visualize a physical location. And that really helps like break the ice, I think, is really what research is doing. It's just breaking the ice. It's getting you familiar. It's dipping your toes into unfamiliar waters because I've noticed the same thing with my own long form work. I find that until I start to like place my brain into this space, this this not real place that I'm building, then I can make sense of it and ideate in a more uh, functioning way. Um, I, I feel like we're going to talk a lot about graphic novels and cartooning in this episode because that's our discipline. That's where we come from. So, you know, right at the beginning, I wanted to offer up as a resource uh, Lars Martinson who is also Minneapolis-based cartoonist, he was working on his graphic novel series, Tonoharu, for, I believe, 13 years. And he has a video on YouTube up, I think it's like five tips from someone who spent 13 years drawing a comic. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's a great resource, and I, I'm, I'm only barely going to touch on it, but what he would say is, don't spend too much time world-building. Don't spend too much time bogged up in the little details. So there's a balancing act that happens there. Maybe to get your foot in the door, you begin to actualize the surrounding environment and lore and world that your story takes place in. But the thing is, a lot of that world building happens on the page when you're making your comic. And you know, same thing for a video game or a movie. You can have everything fully plotted out, you can be the ideal architect, but once you get to realizing your plans, sometimes you've put so much of, you know, the legwork and uh, conceptualization in the front end 
that it's difficult to realize for the brunt of the process. And you'd find that a lot of very novel idiosyncrasies come up when you're making something. Like, I was rec recently working on a comic page for my portfolio because I was applying for a graphic novel project. And in my portfolio, I wanted to have a recent comic page, so I just made one comic page. And I spent eight hours on it, and I made it look as beautiful as possible. And the thing is, the only thing that's happening on this comic page is my character is brushing his teeth. He's getting ready for the day. And it wasn't originally in the script that I had made for the page, but as I was writing it out and drawing it, there's a moment where his friend texts him, and I think, how can I make this a more human moment? So there's a close-up panel of him brushing his teeth and a thought bubble that says, text Sean back, text Sean back, text Sean back. That's a moment of world building. That's a moment of like seeing into the character's mind and understanding how they interact with the world around them. Now I know that this person's forgetful, that this person will forget to respond to his friend unless he reminds himself over and over again to do it. I didn't put that in the script. I thought of that the moment I was making the comic page. And a lot of these things happen naturally as you're making whatever piece of art you want to make. Well, and that, that applies to any sort of script uh, usage because uh, anytime you make a movie, you have a script. Anytime you make a TV show, you have a script. Even when you're writing a book, uh, we have what are called outlines, which is kind of like a script. And uh, with comics, most likely you're working from a script. If you're not working from a script, you're uh, a genius. And um, I bow down to you, but I do work from scripts. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that you're like, okay, yeah, that happens. But when you're in the process of um, playing it out uh, in your mind or on the page or on uh, the cam on camera, it's not, it, it, there's going to be interpretation and improv along the way. Nothing is, it's impossible to spell out every single little detail. And that improvisation and that, um, like acting out part of it, that's where those little nuances of the world building come in. We've talked about Pinterest on this podcast before. And, um, I realize I don't, I, like, I don't use Pinterest, but on my computer, I have a lot of files. So I have this file called comics where I have all my comics files. And then under comics, I have June. And then under June, I have this folder called references. And in the references, I have pictures I've taken. I have character studies. I have um, pictures of, of certain uh, houses that I draw refer to um every architectural drawing is uh re referred referenced uh has a reference but i also have several other references that include uh pictures of uh actors or people that uh i'm like structurally physically uh like riffing off of i have pictures of uh, certain posters and album covers that I like design-wise that influence the style of the page layouts and the covers. I have pictures of, uh, like, what do I have? Cat scans, um, the Eagle Nebula, uh, what is that? Uh, a, a statue in Chicago, you know, just like a, a t-shirt that I, one of my characters wears, like all those things. That's my Pinterest board, basically. Um, I save everything onto a file on my computer. And um, that is world building for me. Phys like I'm, I'm, I see these pictures and I see my, my world. I see the world that I created. You also were thinking about titling this episode like ideation. Yes. That's a lot of what making your actual story come to life is it's ideating and you know we took a class in uh in college that was what was it again process and process and ideation creative ideation process, process and ideation. ideation one of my favorite classes not because it was particularly like the best class i've ever taken but just a fascinating experience for everyone involved <laughs> Plus, the instructor was amazing. She had the best energy for it. She was like a, a, a take-no-shit kind of person. And Absolutely. Like, she was also a multimedia artist. Like she, she played with a lot of different mediums, and it showed in how she handled each student's assignment. It was a great class, and I don't think a lot of people, myself included, really appreciated the point of the class until after the fact. 
But ideation is a skill as an artist that I think that, one, we're not necessarily told we have, and two, we're not given the knowledge to cultivate. So, you know, part of realizing your dream story is knowing how to ideate better, knowing how to come up with ideas better. And as As is putting it, in some ways that's like accruing a catalog of visual material and references that help, you know, bury you within this world that you're conceiving. And the other side of it is like, literally, what do you make? Like you can make uh, storyboards. I find that storyboarding really helps me when I have certain ideas in mind and I don't know how to like make them happen because for As and myself, most of our work is... Uh, not necessarily time-based, like it's animation, but it has a temporal aspect, like time passes between each piece of art that we make. So with graphic design... We have gutters. Or not graphic design. Magic of gutters. With graphic novels, you have gutters that in, in imply that there's time passing between each panel. So that's one way that helps is storyboarding and thumbnails. I find another thing that really helped me, uh, and I, I didn't learn to start doing this until my illustration classes at NCAT, is mood boards. And actually putting together a mood board really helps because you are setting the, the tone of your piece right away. And once you have a tone, it's so much easier to narrow down and funnel all of your different reference materials so that they come into the same unilateral voice that you're trying to hone in on. I really recommend mood boards and character studies, having character lineups um, and character references. Like, if there's a person, a face, actor, or model, or whatever, that makes you think of your character, save as many references of that person as possible. Um, my main character for uh, my Slice of Life comic series that sometimes exists, sometimes doesn't it's exist. It's amazing. The main character is based off of Adam Driver. <laughs> and I'm totally okay with that, because I just really like the way his design came out. So, like, finding inspiration. If you couldn't see too. me just now, like, I was cheesing so hard, like, getting really excited talking about all this because ideation is like, it feels like a kid in a candy store sometimes. It's such a fun part of uh, the whole process. And um, I would, I like, whenever Ash and I talk about my projects or her projects, uh, we, we bring up, like, some of the things that we're referencing. Uh, Ash just mentioned Wrist Cutters, which is one of my favorite movies, was my favorite movie in high school, which when I was ideating June 10 years ago, that was a big influence on the storytelling, like uh, pacing and uh, tone. And so uh, a lot of my decisions creatively at the very beginning came from some of those influences. And uh, even though it's, it's, a, it's a black and white comic, that there is still a, a lot of uh, tone that comes from some of the color choices I make, including just darker grades of um, like tone in general. Um, so that like in my experience, it's it's just it's just so much fun to ideate, um, and it it's almost a trap. <laughs> it can be very dangerous to have this much fun ideating. Because a lot of times you will like be gathering all this stuff and you'll be watching these movies and listening to these songs and, and you're like, oh my God, I feel it. This feels great. I love it. But you don't want to leave that spot because it feels so good and you have to get out of your comfort zone because it is a comfort to look at things that already exist and to like imagine your own world. But when you leave that and get to the work that's very intimidating like i mentioned i was scared to draw june for the first time because she was so perfect in my mind i knew what she looked like in my mind um but having to put her on paper and make her exist in the real world that was very uh frightening in that that was a crucial step when i finally drew her that's when i realized this can be a comic and you have to make that leap. It's, it's a leap of faith, really. You have to make a leap of faith that what you're ideating is a good idea. Well, I feel like some people that are coming to this podcast episode, maybe they don't even have an idea. Maybe they don't even have a June. Maybe they haven't even tried, you know? Like, they know that there's something that they want to do. Like, so for me specifically, I knew that I wanted to create a graphic novel in my lifetime, but I don't know what I want to say. 
you are fortunate enough that you began you began the groundwork for this you know earlier in your life so that you can keep building upon it and now that you have the skills to make a graphic novel you can realize it but i think for some people myself included um you don't even know where to start so how do you even start how do you know what it is you want to say what time period you want to or genre even like how do you how do you build that some of the best advice i ever got um shout out to zach sally was when i was working on an idea um uh, a project that is still very very near and dear to me so near and dear in fact that i don't actually want to mention what it is but it is what i would consider my actual like literal life's work and it is such an important story to me I don't know how to make it a reality. And one of the things Zach said to me was, don't force it to be a comic. It might not be a comic. Like you don't know. You can try it and if it doesn't work, try it in another way. The same way with June, I didn't know it was gonna be a comic until 10 years, nine years after I started writing it. So if you have this idea like, I really wanna make a graphic novel, that's cool that you want to make a graphic novel, but the idea that you have might not be a graphic novel. The idea you have might be a freaking like one man show. Fleabag is such a good an example. It was a one man show before it was made into a TV show and it wasn't supposed to have a second season, but a second season was just born and it's the best thing TV has ever produced, you know? Your idea, whatever it is, even if it's not fully formed, it might not be what you think it is. And you have to give it space to tell you what it is. So if you don't even know where to begin, if you don't even have like a solid idea, like if you're just like, oh man, I love watching the X-Files. I wish I could make something that feels like this. Just start with that. What is that, what is that feeling? Focus on what that one thing you really want to express is and then plant it like a seed and then see what grows out of it. I'm really glad you said that because it was kind of a leading question. I had a response prepared as well, but what you said perfectly segues <laughs> into it. So I was telling Az about this before we started recording that um, I'm dipping my toes into a fantasy world that I want to write. And I, I have no clue what I'm doing. I had no idea how I wanted to realize this story or this weird fantasy universe. But the thing is, it, it came about because I had the realization <clears throat> while I was playing Elden Ring, so this might be a passing fancy, but I made the realization while I was playing Elden Ring, like, wow, I really love fantasy. Most of my favorite things growing up were fantasy titles. Like, Berserk is my favorite comic ever made, and I grew up playing Oblivion and Dragon Age, and now Elden Ring, and... All these things are sort of influenced by one another, and of course, who doesn't love the Lord of the Rings? And it just kind of occurred to me, like, well, if I love this so much, why don't I make something like it? But I didn't want to just start with that. So what I did was I opened up a sketchbook page, and I have a massive sketchbook because my ideas are big. <laughs> and I just wrote down, like, a map of all the things that inspired me growing up, things that I committed creative energy to growing up, like the things that I would make fan fiction and fan art for, or like try to like riff off of and create sequels in my head. Those things are clearly things that give me creative inspiration, things that fuel my creative fire. And how would I know exactly what it is I like if I don't start cataloging it and taking notes and figuring out what it is about each of these titles that resonates with me? And once you get to these like core ideas, so not only did I write down the titles, I wrote down how old I was when I was really into them, what I did with the material, what I liked about the material, what themes did the material you know, support, what, what tropes were recurring throughout the material. And once I nailed down some of those like cursory things, I was like, okay, so here's, here's what I like. I like dark fantasy stories that have very strong lore that you know alludes to real lore specifically with like world religions and chaos and themes of like what's worth dying for and all that you know big human concepts and once i got that down i was like all right i have an idea here's here's my idea and the idea is the seed and again like the gardener you start to water the seed you, you create other material to build it i think it's important to know what inspires you when you decide to create a story or start a project 
Because that inspiration is what's going to keep you going as you're making it. Because if this is truly, like, your big idea, your quote-unquote big idea, you're going to be spending a lot of time on it. And it's going to be important to keep yourself motivated through, through the entire journey. And that's why I think it's important to have reference material and inspirational material to keep coming back to. Because that's the thing that started you off, and that's the thing that's going to keep the fire going. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about as cartoonists, because doing what we do takes so long. Like, writing a graphic novel takes years. I mean, like, front to back, it can take years. And um, it's it's pretty tricky when you're working on a project that could take potentially years and keeping that motivation throughout. One of the things that we talk about is making smaller projects or working on zines in the meantime, or um, short story, like writers say this all the time too. Don't always write novels, write short stories from time to time. You know, that's why I like the idea of serializing my book because, um, it gave me an opportunity to work on it in a, in a small section at first before tackling like the whole thing. Um, but the, 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 the fact remains that I'm still working on like a really big log project that's going to take years to finish. Uh, whereas like my senior thesis was a 32 page comic. It's a standalone. It's a one shot. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm never going to think about it. <laughs> and I'm never going to think about it again. Like the story wise, it's done. It's done and dusted. I'm never going to touch it again. And sometimes it's really good to have stories like that to just like clear your brain and get you working. And that can be of service to you. That can be part of your world building. You can use those one shot 20 page comics to do a short story to really like get you into uh this mode of thinking like you mentioned ash's comic uh, trevor and cricket like that one page story of someone like remembering to text their friend and and not not doing it or doing it or getting texted in that moment all of that like that that one page that's a comic you know that can be a self-contained one page comic um and that's why i like short stories i don't know how many times we've mentioned the samarillion on this podcast <laughs> but that's why the samarillion is full of short stories it's full of these just like drawn out sort of like and then this happened and this was the creation of the world and then this happened and then this guy fell in love with this girl and then that happened it's like it, it's not even like a fully fledged out continuous uh story that's why the samarillion is really hard to read um, it's just ideation. It really is. And, um, you know, not everything you do is going to be in the final product, which is why, you know, I had 15 pages on the wall and now I only have four. That's why, you know, there's so many, so many, so many scrapped pages of books, of stories, of comics. I have an entire issue of June that doesn't exist anymore. It's still, the pile is still there. The old issue, the old first issue is still there. I drew the whole first issue and I hated it. I hated it front to back by the time I got to the inking process. I was like, this is not working. It helped me with the world building because it helped me figure out how the characters look, where they are like physically. Um, I, I figured out the setting, I figured out the time period, I figured out ages, appearance, um, mannerisms, mannerism is really big for me. So I was able to like figure that out. And those 32 pages of the, uh, first version of the first issue are never going to see the light of day because all of that was part of the ideation for me. Right. You know, there's this quote, I don't know where it came from, but it's basically to the effect of like, this is an ADHD hack. Um, if you can't get your projects done, have two going at the same time. So whenever you feel like procrastinating on one, just go work on the other. And I think that's another way of getting through your, your long form story and still having the short form, form stories, like you were saying. Like, you can have this thing that you keep coming back to that you keep committing regular amounts of energy to. But whenever you experience burnout, which trust me is going to happen, it's only natural. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have other things to be keyed into just to keep your creative vitality alive. 
Um, the worst thing to, I think, ever happen to an artist is they don't have any joy in creating. I, I, and that happens when you spend too much time on one thing, one thought, one series, and you don't give yourself the opportunity to, like, spread your wings and try new things and be, you know, ingenuous. Is that it? <laughs> Experiencing your own ingenuity, ah, surprising yourself, creating ah, new things, novelty. We, we crave novelty Novelty. Mm. No, and, and, you know, I certainly, I'm doing the same thing right now. I'm working on two projects. I'm working on multiple projects, but really, like, comics-wise, I'm working on one uh, big one. But, you know, like, with June, I, I I hit the ground running, first two issues, and then after that, I was like, I just need a break. Like, I just can't keep drawing this. And because, you know, I like to be excited about every single thing I draw. If I'm not excited about what I'm drawing, it's probably not working. And the reason it's not working is just my brain is tired. <laughs> my brain is so tired of drawing the same thing over and over or drawing, you know, uh, it's hard as a cartoonist because like, I feel like it's really easy to get repetitive. It's really easy to fall into this trap of um, drawing something that's familiar and, uh, you know, there's in in a film what is there like 24 frames per second 30 per second uh we're doing one frame per 30 seconds to 30 minutes to 30 days i mean we're not doing those back and forth back and forth you know frames at a time so but because of the way we manipulate time in comics it's kind of easy to do multiple frames per second and you're just drawing the same thing over and over and over and it can be tiresome for you and for the audience. And when you're tired of drawing it, your audience is going to be tired of reading it. So you need to take a step back. You need to take a break. Like, it's not crazy to take a break. It's not crazy to say, like, I'm tired of drawing this right now. It doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. It just means that you need to stop doing that right then. Take a step back and look at what you're, you're doing. As far as that is concerned, uh, like relates to ideation, <laughs> a little off topic, but we're, what we're getting at here is that all of the work that you put into comics is not all going to end up on the final page. And part of that is because you have to oscillate between certain projects or you have to, um, flesh things out. Um, like I've said before, um, I've, I've already committed to the decision that I'm going to redraw my first issue because my characters just look so different now that I've drawn them a hundred times, 200 times. They look way different than they did in the first issue. And now it fits and it didn't fit before. Um, and I guess that was just part of the process, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've already tried to talk you out of redrawing the first issue, and I know I can't, but I just for the audience, um, as an anecdote, Berserk's first issue uh, quite infamously is super off-tone, and the art style's kind of clumsy compared to, you know, when it finds its footing, like, maybe 30 issues later. So... I'm no Berserk. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. All I'm saying is, you know, you still have the brunt of your work speaking for itself, and most people can forgive, you know, clumsy beginnings to stories. Because honestly, can you think of a single series, book, TV show, movie that isn't a little bit awkward in the first quarter? Um, Arrested Development is a perfect TV show until it hits the fourth season. They had their voice figured out, bro figured out okay well not everyone's arrested development the rest of us are just normal human beings but mere mortals compared to the producers and writers right oh but no totally there's tons of tv shows that are just awful the first season just terrible um and and if you're a big fan of them, you just love them. I mean, one of my favorite things to bring up is like Doctor Who. There's so many bad episodes of Doctor Who, uh, and that's the thing about TV shows. You can't re-release an episode of a TV show. Like that's done. That is over. Um, but it, it's very funny to me because like 
man, even when it's bad, the fans love it. <laughs> well, it's, you know, grander than the sum of its parts, you know? It has such a... Correct. A history to it. it, it really, and it, it's scale, too. You have enough of anything, people are going to probably enjoy it as a whole rather than the individual components that may sometimes be not as good. Um, I mean, there are, there are moments in... Star Wars, every single trilogy that are kind of flat, kind of sucky, kind of kitschy, kind of campy, but I like campy. But we still love Star Wars. We love Star Wars. I mean, most people do. Right. No, I've said it before. I'll say it again. My favorite episode of Star Wars is Attack of the Clones. It has some of the worst parts of the entire franchise, but it is still my favorite because it's the most enjoyable to me as a, as a whole. It's really, it's an exciting movie and that is going to stoke some anger in some people i'm sure but um like i'm currently wearing my well i'm wearing my empire strikes back shirt because i know that that's everyone's favorite movie because it's objectively the best movie that doesn't mean it's my favorite well we need personal preference like when there's obviously like no other contender for top slot like everyone can agree on this then you need to find some nuance you need to find some subjectivity here's what i like here's what i like but uh, for me, here's, here's why I'm not like other take. girls. You, yeah, let's hear it. You want to know how I'm not like other girls? The Last Jedi is my favorite movie. I love. Okay. <laughs> I love the Rise of Skywalker. Have we? I haven't talked. Okay, we are. We're not going to do this right now. We're not doing a whole. We will do a whole episode on Star Wars. I promise you. But I love. I love the sequels, not because they're good movies. But I really like Rise of Skywalker. We've talked about this in like between us, but I don't I can never forgive you for this. I can never forgive you. Anyway. <laughs> why is the last why do you, why is the last Jedi your favorite Star Wars? Uh because uh Luke drinks alien tit milk. <laughs> oh, that's right. And it's green. That's why. That's the best part of the whole franchise. Uh plus Kylo Ren's titties. It's just the tit movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the titty movie. Wait, is it is it in the Last Jedi? It is in the Last Jedi. You want to know how it's in the Last Jedi because all the best scenes in the sequel trilogy came from the Last Jedi. You you like Kylo Ren's man titties? Guess what? That was in the Last Jedi. You're welcome. Thanks, Ryan Johnson. Thank you, Ryan Johnson. We don't deserve you. Shout out. We love you, Ryan Johnson. Like, I know that's a spicy take. I know that's going to piss some people off. But, yeah, I love The Last Jedi. I love I love that I Ryan mean, Johnson is just such a hopeless romantic. Like, And I love that it's three hours long. I love all of it's it. It's so cute. Well, it's you know, really we good. basically, we like the second movie of every trilogy is what we're getting at here. We like Attack of the Clones. We like Empire Strikes Back. And we like The Last Jedi. So what does that say about us, that we like the middle movie? I, I don't know, but... How did George Lucas come up with the idea for Star Wars? That's what I want to know. So basically, uh, George Lucas made American Graffiti. Uh, it was a blockbuster, blockbuster teen classic, teen culture classic. It earned fifty million and five Oscar nods. So Star Wars wasn't his first success. American Graffiti was, but after that, he had the uh, audacity. To say, I really want to make a space opera. <laughs> so that's the whole pitch for Star Wars. It's a space opera. I'm dead serious. So the, the story was based on, on outer space adventures like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. I'm reading from biography.com, by the way. So I'm not coming up with this all on my own. But um, the idea is like George Lucas uh, grew up on a walnut farm. And so the idea is a kid who lives on a farm who gets to travel in outer space. That's the pitch of Star Wars. And it's he shopped it around. It's self-insert. But he shopped it around. It just got success. So it, it just happened to be the right place at the right time. And um, But he, he had this idea. I mean, the idea literally is a quote-unquote space opera. 
And that's what he started with. And that's what he worked around. And he, he worked with a partner, uh, Gary Kurtz. So there's something to be said for creative collaboration. And we are going to do an episode on creative collaboration because that's a really exciting topic as well. But um, essentially, and, and this is the crazy thing. This is where I say he had the audacity because he pitched it. And that's a crazy approach, but it's an approach that works for a lot of people. When you have an idea, if you pitch it and you sell it, you have to commit. Right. <laughs> that's that's one way of getting an idea off the ground. Uh, a couple of our friends were working on these ideas and these stories and these pitches. And, you know, we would co consistently tell them, like, just pitch it. You just have to sell it. Keep pitching it. Work on the pitch. Tighten it up. Make it look good. Convince someone that the story is worth telling. And they pitched it. They pitched it and they sold it. Um, both of the people I'm thinking of. So it's like, that's that's one approach. That is legitimately one approach to um, getting started on your project. I'm Like, what Ash and I have been talking about is stuff that we're making in our bedrooms by ourselves, you know. Um without an audience but uh, eventually you're gonna need that audience it's just a matter of when you want to find it and um you know if you're george lucas this is the first thing you the, this is the first thing he did he found an audience um and for us we we're making the story first and then finding the audience which i i feel like is a much more reliable success story than what happened with george lucas if, if i'm honest if i'm totally honest and the other nice yeah thing that that pitching, it's a fluke it absolutely is a fluke everything about george lucas's life is a fluke good for him um the other nice thing about pitching is that like it may seem kind of scary, like you're locked in now that you've pitched it and someone bought it, you have to commit to it. That's actually what you're looking for if you want to be in this industry. You want to have a reliable income to just be able to work on this and nothing else for this amount of time. Because otherwise, you're like frantically making pages between shifts and hoping that you'll have something to put together for a pitch. It's like, you made it. You, you did all the hard stuff. Now you get to just sit with your, like, nose to the grindstone for several months and everything will be okay. I mean, not everything will be okay, but, but that's that's where you want to be. You want to be in a position where you are being paid to make your comics or paid right. to make your project. Right, like, with, with June, I mean, the reason I didn't pitch it was because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel like trying to sell it. Um, it's one of those passion projects that I love so much, I would do it for free if I could. Um it also means that I don't get to work on it as much as I want because I am essentially doing it for free. I don't sell that many copies of my comic, which is fine. You know, I'm okay with it. I'm not doing this to sell it. I'm doing it because I need to get the story out. But eventually, um, when the story's done, then I want to sell it as a, as a um, collected graphic novel. And that's... 10 years from now. I this is this is me doing work for 10 years that I'm not going to get paid for. What am I going to do in the meantime though? What am I going to get paid for in the meantime? And that's where I'm working on other projects that I do want to pitch first that I want to sell before I start working on them so that I can get paid for them. And it'll be so much easier to pitch when you have a complete project rather than just like here's my idea in a couple pages, please believe in me. It's right, like, I finished right, this. Right. This entire thing is complete, and it's dense, and it's so much more worth your money now. Like, there, there's more than one way to make this happen. There's more than one way to make your idea happen. For me, uh, June has always been such a difficult project to describe, and it's not because I'm not putting in the effort to try to make a two-sentence pitch. Boy, have I tried. But it's just, it's really hard to explain what it means in two sentences to me, um, which could be a faulty aspect of the, the book. I mean, maybe you don't get what it's trying to say until you've read six issues, but I think, I think people get it. Um, unfortunately though, that just, that just makes it a very hard project to pitch. And, you know, that could be something I need to work on. That could be something that uh, needs work in the story itself. Or maybe it just that's just the way it is. 
But the projects that I do want to pitch, those I have the two sent. I have two sentences. Um, one of my favorite pitch stories is Titanic. Uh, the pitch is Romeo and Juliet on a sinking ship. That's the perfect pitch, and that's exactly what the movie is. It's a disaster movie, and it's a romance movie, and it's a romantic disaster. That's what the movie for three hours and fourteen minutes exactly is. <laughs> perfect pitch. What other approaches are there to uh, process and ideation? What do you think? Consumption. You know, we're talking about so much of like the, the, the brunt labor of it. Like, here's how you make this happen, and here's how you flesh this out, and here's how you pitch it, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, how, what, what else fuels the creative impulse to create? Seeing things that you like. And we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think ultimately it's make sure you're consuming material that inspires you throughout the entire process. Like, don't cut yourself off from the things that you enjoy while you're in a period of, like, laborious creative work. Right. Well, here's a here's an insider tip for you, um, because I do work in publishing. Whenever we are selling a book uh, to a distributor, uh, we have to present something called uh, comps, which... Do I know what it means exactly? Uh, no, I think it's like comparable or comparative, but basically what can you compare it to? And um, comps usually have to be within a year of the publishing date. But um, it, it helps, you know, it helps because um, it kind of adds context to what you're working on. So not only does it help you as a creator to know who else is making stuff like what you're making and um, where it sort of fits in the zeitgeist of creativity, but it also helps you know what people are reading and what people are buying, and it helps you understand how your story is going to be received as an audience. So if you're writing a book that is like high fantasy or um, Elden Ring inspired, that you already have an audience built into that um basically it's a if you like this you'll love this sort of thing and while it sounds like a little capitalistic uh it's it's important to know where your project your story your book uh fits in into um you know an audience yeah, and that's exactly it. Like, part of the reason why I wanted to narrow down what the voice was for the comic is also because I understand I'm going to have to give it to people at some point. And if I want people to buy it, like, I need it to be marketable. How do I make it marketable? I make it like the things that I already like that I know a lot of other people already like. Um, another inspiration that came to mind was uh, ElfQuest. I never read ElfQuest, but I know that ElfQuest has a very notable following. And I was thinking, well, I could totally tune into some inspiration there because there are some people that I know growing up who loved ElfQuest. And if they saw that I made something similar to it, that would you know, just kind of make my heart happy to know they'd like it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, comparatives are a very important part of the, the journey when you're making something. No, and I mean, it, it, it's important because uh, not only is it to find an audience, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, I have no idea what I just said, but I talked anyway um but like let's say you want to make an autobiography comic uh you better go out and pick up a julie Desay or a gabrielle bell because you need to know what other people are making um one so that you're not accidentally copying them <laughs> but two um understanding that you are part of a zeitgeist you're part of a tapestry um, and you will be, whether you like it or not, you will be compared to these people in the field. Um, so you need to know what you're being compared to. I also wanted to mention Liana Fink. I, I, she's not technically autobio. She's like loosely autobio. I feel the same way about, um, uh, Eleanor Davis. Oh yeah. 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 Eleanor Davis, uh, one of the best cartoonists out there right now. If you haven't checked out her work. Whether you like comics or not, I highly recommend it. I, I tell everyone who's not familiar with Eleanor's work that I think she's the best living cartoonist right now. I think she's doing incredible stuff. Incredible it's, stuff. Yeah, it's it's transcendental. 
Um, it is. Shout out. Shout, <laughs> shout out. out Ellen Hurt Davis. Clearly we're fans. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, of course. Like, understanding, again, the zeitgeist, what other material is your material going to be correlated with? Um, and understanding your fellows. And, like, you know, I feel like this is a good point to bring up. If, if you are interested in a certain niche or genre or you, you want to be involved in this, like, little community, I would suggest not only familiarizing yourself with the people that inspire you, making these like similar content, try to be their friends too. Try to get their eyes on your work. Um, if someone's doing something very similar to you, they're gonna have similar inspirations and predilections creatively, and having their eyes on your work would be kind of ground groundbreaking. Um, that actually, that, that brings up a good point. Sharing your work it is going to make a huge difference in the ideation process. So, um, like I mentioned, you know, I've never been able to nail a pitch for June, but that's because I just, I just know the story so well that there's too much to say. And, um, I don't feel it totally necessary when I'm working on it to try to explain what exactly I'm doing. However, um, nailing a pitch is going to help you uh, nail down your ideation as well. So if you're like, I don't know, I just kind of have this idea about like this thing that happens over here. It's like, n that means you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> that means you have a, a vague idea of what you want to do, but you haven't quite nailed it. Work on that pitch and it'll come to you. And once you get that pitch down, I guarantee you it's just going to be so much easier to like work on the rest of the story because you know where you're going you know what the core idea is i would say as early on in the process as possible just make a pitch just make a pitch like uh, what is the story like boil it down as concretely as possible make a pitch make a compelling pitch even if your story isn't finished even if you never plan on pitching it that pitch is telling you everything you need to know about your story. It's telling you where you need to take it, who it's for, how you're going to make it, and how it's going to evolve. That's incredible information to have at the beginning of the process. Right. Like the this this project that I'm working on, this pitch I'm working on, I, I first thing I did was I figured out the two-sentence pitch, and I was like, oh, that's it. And I even texted it to Ash. I was like, okay, but hear me out. What about this, but in this? And was Ash was perfect. like, that's it. Yeah, no, as soon as he said it, you sold me on it. Like, I don't care how long it takes <laughs> or how you make it happen, but I, I'm in. You sold me. It was a good two-sentence pitch. It was one sentence. Yeah, now, now I have to do sentence. all the work. It's one sentence, but uh, now I have to do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. But now I know what I'm doing. Now I know what I'm doing. And that's half the battle. Like, seriously. Like, you're not supposed to know everything, and I'm sure we've hammered that home in, you know, an hour of talking already. But, like know at least enough to keep it going. You know, some of it's going to be the legwork you do before you start, and some of it's going to be what you learn while you're making it. But, you know, you shouldn't rely entirely on intuition because your intuition is vast and very convoluted, and you'll have so many things that you want to say or so many directions you want to take, and you need to narrow it down. You need, you need to make sure it's not so many paths that you don't know which one to choose. Um, And that that's... That's what we as artists are constantly trying to do. Um, I've said this saying before, and I love it. Uh, it's my favorite saying. Uh, thanks to my mentor for giving it to me. But you're nailing jello to the wall. You're taking something that's hard, not quite liquid, not quite solid, that's like structurally just bizarre, but you have to make it solid enough to nail it to the wall and make sure it stays. And that is what we are constantly trying to do. We're constantly trying to get this fog of ideas and uh, find something to grab onto and to tell that story. So good luck. Good luck. I hope this episode helped. <laughs> I mean, I, actually, I think we covered a lot. I think we covered a lot of really helpful tools and strategies. And I think your work with June for short is really helpful here in this conversation. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have anything really long form that I'm working on to talk about. I'm so sorry, you guys. Uh, maybe someday. You will. But yeah, maybe someday. Uh, but I still have techniques to get through long projects because I've done long projects before. It's just I've never done something to the length of uh, like a, a large graphic novel. Right, right. Um, and 
you know, that is to say, I haven't finished a long graphic novel. So that that's still another one uh, that I'm working on. But, you know, we're, we're saying it like, good luck, like, uh, <laughs> throwing you in the deep end, making sure you can swim. But honestly, you just you kind of have to jump into the deep end. You just have to do it. You're not going to sink. I promise you're not going to sink. Just do it. It's not going to be as bad as you think it will be. I mean, it'll be hard. It really won't. There, 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 there will be periods of course. that are difficult. But it's, it's going to oh, be... Oh, yeah. You are capable of so much more than you think you are. And if you wake up in the middle of the night in a panic and a sweat thinking, oh, I'm so stupid. Why would I ever do this? No one liked my idea. That's totally normal. That's a total, surprisingly normal thing to happen. And just get a drink of water, take a deep breath. Go back to bed. You'll feel better in the morning. That's lovely. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. It's amazing. Keep tuning in. Keep letting us know what you think. Um, send us your comments, complaints, concerns, adoration. Fan art, memes. Oh, we love memes. Yes, thank you for the memes. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll see you next week, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is a masculine divine? <laughs> what it, what's the age difference between Padme and Anakin again? <laughs> okay, this is all gone. This is all getting cut out. Not even... It's going in the bloopers, though. <laughs>